Hello, I am Griselda Togobo and you are listening to In Conversation With. This is a Forward Ladies podcast where inspirational female leaders share practical and simple strategies to help you win in the world of work. Hi, this is Griselda Togobo from Forward Ladies and today I have the pleasure of being in conversation with Rene Hunt. I first reached out to Renee when I got a newsletter that she had been appointed director of Sky um, Content in Yorkshire, and I was so I was so happy to see a black woman being appointed as a director. And I reached out to her, and since then we've been talking. And I only have I have nothing but admiration for the work you're doing, and for the person you are, and for how you lead. So thank you so much for making time for me. Thank you for having me. And you're so kind. I'm like, who is this lady? She sounds amazing. <laughs> I stalk people. <laughs> so if you're joining this conversation or watching our recording for, for the very first time, I'll really be grateful if you could give it a thumbs up or also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, it would be on iTunes as well for you to download and listen to on your on your walks and exercise trips, whatever. Anyway, so Renee, how... Did you end up in Yorkshire doing the role you're doing at Sky? So I think I moved to the UK 25 years ago. And I think that's when the movie Calendar Girls came out. And I decided then that the perfect place in England was Yorkshire, even though I'd never been. So I've had it in my mind. I wanted to live in Yorkshire at some point in this journey. Um, And then after knowing Sky as one of my clients for many years, we were having serious conversations about would I join Sky as a permanent? And in the end, the right mix of jobs was a leadership job, a technology job, a delivery focused job. And it was in Yorkshire. I was like, all boxes tick, I'm in. So I moved to Leeds for this role. Um, but it was literally fulfilling like a 25 year goal to live in Yorkshire. So there we are. So was there any particular reason why you chose Yorkshire? I know look, Yorkshire is gorgeous. <laughs> I just, you know, I'm a re- American by birth. So we, we like a bit of stereotypes. And in my mind, you know, what I thought England was going to be like was reflected in that film and the countryside. You know, this is this is my imagination. It's always dangerous to have a fantasy about something and then guess, yes. right? Yes. yes. But what I've found is that like 90% of my fantasy is true, right? So the wide open spaces, the I love the sort of self-determination of Yorkshire people. It reminds me of Americans. Yes. Um, you know, it's like, oh, we'll just do this. We'll just get this done. We'll just do it. Stop, right? And I love that. Um, and the friendliness, you know, I have a garden. If you'd have told my 25-year-old self I'd be into gardening now, she'd have laughed at you. But I love my garden. I love growing things. And this is all possible here. You can have a really fantastic career and have a really fantastic life. And I think, shh, don't tell anybody, but it's it's Yorkshire. <laughs> it's happening in the north. I totally agree with you. I agree with you. So you said you were looking for a perfect mixed role with leadership and IT. Yes. And you know, there's a stereotype that um, engineers are not really great leaders mm-hmm. because they're technical people and they're, they're too nerdy to lead. So what was it about your own journey that led you to the point where you decided, right, I need to lead. I can't do it 
Okay. Um, so we'll start with leadership is learned. It's it's very rarely natural, right? So you can see some people have leadership qualities, but that doesn't make them a good leader without actual learning and coaching and developing over time. And I was very fortunate because I started my professional career in the army. And before I did my first day in the army, they spent four years teaching me to lead. Four years, right? Wow. So then, and then I was a baby leader and still didn't know what I was doing, right? So then they invested another four years in teaching me to actually do it without getting anybody killed, which is quite useful. So for me, I was kind of earmarked for leadership because of the career I chose at the beginning, and I quite enjoy it. Now, I wouldn't say I was the best manager in the world, but I'm really decent at leadership now. I've, I've been doing that for a long, long time. Now, engineers. So here's my my disclosure. You ready, folks? I'm yes. not an engineer. All right. I'm not a I don't have a degree in engineering. I hate this conversation more than anything else. Right. Because I'm sitting here still talking to people 35 years on who go, hmm, so you're not an engineer. I'm like, I've been doing nothing but engineering since I was 25 years old. But OK, when I left university in 1987, I did not have a degree that said engineering. So we got that over there. I don't pretend to be an engineer because I trust and believe in that skill set and yes. that education. Yes. But I am a developer. I have a degree in, in programming. That's what we called it in the 80s um, that I went to night school to get. And I've been working in nothing but technology and engineering at the coalface since I was 25 years old. So maybe I can like have a, what is it, like um, sweat equity in engineering. Yes. And I think that might be the secret, right? Like I feel my mission is to help our engineers be better leaders, to be better business people. Yeah. So that the engineering knowledge they have is better applied to solve problems because I'm not one for science experiments for science experiments sake, you know, unless yeah. you're doing a hack or something else. But for the most part, they pay us the big bucks to solve business problems. Yes. Decide, solve societal problems. Yes. And part of that is having your brain and your value set really centered in what it is important to the customer, what's important yes. to the user, what's important to the business, and what good engineering looks like. So I don't agree that engineers don't make good leaders. I think we don't invest in training and coaching engineers in addition to their amazing engineering skill set to also be good le leaders. And there's nothing about the one that pro prohibits the other. You know? Yes. One of my favorite, favorite bosses of all time is a PhD in engineering, and he's an amazing leader. Amazing. I'd work for him tomorrow. Fabulous. Yeah. I just love that response because you really um, knock some is it stereotypes or assumptions we have first about the profession engineering, but also about leadership because you know, you're saying it, it's all accessible to people if you make the right investment in them and they also commit to being part of that journey. Um, but if we take it back to the start, you going into the army, what made, what led to that choice? Again, that's a very unique choice. So I have a really tight relationship with my father and um, we were always close when I was growing up and he recommended the army. He thought it might be good for me. Uh, I was sporty as a kid. Uh, I was a bit bossy, as they say about girls with leadership skills. Yes. <laughs> um, and I always loved camping. So he said, well, maybe the army would be good. So that was one side of it. And then practically, they paid for my degree. Yes. That so in America, there's a, a program called ROTC. 
And you can study to be an officer while you study for your degree. And they pay for your whole degree in anything you want. Wow. So I studied politics and economics. Uh, and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to make you a signal officer in technology. <laughs> so it didn't even matter. They didn't even care. They're like, do you want to be in military intelligence? I'm like, no. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, you can be signal. And I'm like, awesome. Great. So they paid for my education and they gave me my vocation in, yeah. through the army. Uh, but more importantly, I it was like hardening. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it really, truly nothing phases me. Like I handle stress so much better as a result of being yelled at 24-7 for that. <laughs> you know, self-esteem, no problem. I've been told I was dumb, stupid, useless, worthless. And that was like the first year of the army. So yeah, yeah. you're fine. You're fine after that. You're like, yeah, okay, I still have to do this. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> I, I interviewed um, one of the first black women to be a, a, a captain in the U.S. Navy, Latanya wow. Sims. I should absolutely introduce you to her. Wow. And I, I met her um, when I went to the U.S. and she's retired now, but lots of similarities with your journey um, mm. because she also took the part because it was paid for. And she rose through the ranks and she retired from it. And wow. a phenomenal leader. Um, so you mentioned about showing leadership potential and the fact that you went for an amazing leader. What would you say, what qualities made this man the best leader you worked for? Let, let me break down a few amazing leaders and their yes. qualities, the things they had in common. I think one, they set really high objectives. And they were very, very vocal about them. Um, and then they did absolutely everything to put success in your path, right? So people who, one, had high expectations of me, of the organization, um, because they picked us and, or they, you know, they were responsible for us. So one, it gave me a lot of confidence that they believed we could do it. Um, but then also they weren't uh, too detailed about how, but more about you know, very clear about what success looked like at the end yeah. um, and let us, you know, have enough rope. Because you, know, <laughs> you learn through that, right? Really yeah. encouraging. Um, one of the other things is leaders who are not afraid to give you sharp feedback. You yeah. know, so what do they call it now? Um, um, what do they call it? Sort of radical candor. Yeah. You know, and I would say kind candor. You know, when you're not doing a good job, people need to tell you what's wrong because yes. often you don't know. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, and you hope nobody's going to find out, but often you don't know. And so having a leader who cares enough about you in that moment to call you up, take you aside in private, not in public, in private and go. Mm -mm. Right. So to me, those are the, the qualities of the people and mostly people who enjoyed their jobs themselves. Yeah. Right. You know, if you're Johnny, Johnny Downer, like, you know, those leaders that you work for who were never happy, who were always grumpy. There's a difference between people who are stoic, meaning they're not upset, but they're not going to be bubbling over. Right. They're, yeah. they're, they're very flat in their personality. That's fine. That's who you are. Well done. Yeah. But those people who are just every day is horrible. Every day is horrible. You know, there you can't win. You can only lose. Da, 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 da. Like, why? You know, go find something that fills your spirit. Stop killing our world here. So for me, those are the people who really stand out for me. You know, they were smart, um, but they didn't need to prove it to you every day. 
right? They yeah. were smart enough to let the brilliant people they hired get on with it. Yeah. Encourage them to speak their names in rooms when you weren't there. Yes. Yeah. And I'm just some of them I forget everything you're saying because obviously you're hitting all the right notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would love to say that's me all the time, but it's it's the people I've most enjoyed working for and I try to emulate. I try. Yes, yes. And I was really lucky. I was really lucky in my career because when I was in the army, I had female and black leadership and black female leadership. Yes. Uh, my first job in Deloitte, my first, well, she was the second MD. The first MD was only there for a month, but the second MD was black and female and tech. Can you believe? Wow. It and does she, was, make a and she was all of that. Talk about, you know, stop you in your tracks when you're not doing something right. <laughs> hmm, you come here. Oh no. When you saw that finger like this, you knew you were in trouble. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, the pressure is really on when you're, I mean, when I was in Deloitte, I was the only black female in my intake. And um, the pressure is quite on when it's, you're the only one in the room, because yeah. you need to prove you feel like you're flying the flag for everybody else that looks like you. Yeah. Well, you're definitely going to be the example they use when they say we tried that and it didn't work. Yes, exactly. And and so there's a lot of pressure with that. There's a lot, there's a psychological burden with that. And and you do do your best. Um, But it's also quite, it can be quite a lonely journey. So I know you're leading a team of about 200 engineers. It's a, you, you have to show up and be positive, giving that feedback, being energetic, showing that you love your job. And we've just been through one of the toughest times in our history for a lot of people. You know, some people have coped better than others. So one of our members actually asked me a question recently that as a leader, when you're when you're down, when you're demotivated yourself, when you're bent out, when you've lost inspiration yourself, how do you show up every day to inspire the people you've been given the opportunity to lead? Um, that's a really good question, right? Let's add to that, that I am a extreme extrovert. So this is the worst punishment I can imagine. (laughs) Um, it's a really good question. I would make some, I would make some suggestions. Number one, if all of those things are applying to you right now, you need to take some time off, right? Trust in the people that you, that you have in your team and turn the phone off. Take off the iWatch, tone the, put the computer somewhere, and completely disconnect from your from the work environment for a period of time. Whatever yeah. period of time that needs to be for you, but I would say it's probably longer than 24 hours. Right. But you need to properly disconnect and do that because you can't pour from an empty cup. Yes. So take some time out and really do things that fill your spirit, whether that's if it's permissible, meeting with other people, yes. working in my garden, you know, listening to music, singing eighty songs, whatever it is, but really, really focus on filling up the happiness cup, right? Yeah. The other thing that's useful, I find, is we're so busy raising the bar, we forget to look behind us at the field that's growing. And so we just recently had our boss up. Um, he traveled up from London. And it meant that we had to like kind of go through H1. So our first half of year is finished at the end of June. Yeah. And each team got up and presented what they accomplished in H1. And I was like, whew. 
And that's really positive because you forget how much you actually get done when it feels like you're not getting anything done. And if that isn't inspiring you, maybe you need to think about something else, right? Because you can't look at the collective achievement of your people, like never mind you, like you, whatever, but your people, if you can't look at that and be re-inspired, then that's giving you very, very strong signals about <laughs> how you feel about your organization. And, and I would encourage you to have that conversation with your line manager, like not necessarily move on, but have that conversation with your line manager because something's missing, right? And I think as leaders, sometimes we forget that it's our job to lead, but it's also our job to develop and grow and to keep that, keep that energy going for our people, right? And then my last one is fake it. <laughs> Fake it because your brain doesn't know the difference. I saw a fantastic uh, TED talk on this. And it's like why Hollywood people fall in love with each other when they've done a movie, because they've spent so much time faking it that your brain doesn't know the difference. So fake it, fake it, fake it until you until you feel it. Right. Um, But first, do all those other things. Right. (laughs) Like, Don't fake it on top of nothing. Honestly, (laughs) I think time off rest, proper rest is one of the most underrated healers. Of yes. physical, of mental, of emotional. You're like our bodies are designed to rest. Our brains are designed to rest. And this 24-7 serving nobody. No, it does. Tell your girlfriends, no, we will not meet on a Zoom call. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I have banned them. Banned. Yeah. Like, that is not fun. <laughs> Stop. That's work. <laughs> I don't think anybody's doing that still. I'll be surprised if people are still partying on Zoom. I think that was a, that was a fun. It was a novelty. It worked yes. for, a, you know, when we were really down, that was better than nothing, right? Yes. Yes. But now I'm just like, I know what you look like. I, why don't we just talk on the phone? Old school. Old school. <laughs> so you, you're very calm and, and you talk about your experience in the army really increasing your tolerance for stress. But is there anything else you do? I know you take your holidays. I am not calm. (laughs) (laughs) I am so not calm. Um, I marvel at people who are like, I am quite emotional, right? And I think I'm now at a level where people just put it in the eccentric bucket as opposed to this is something we need to work on. I am very... If I'm up, I'm up. If I'm down, I'm not as up. And people go, oh, there's something wrong. And there are a few people in my team who will notice it, notice the drop and go, are you okay? And I'll be like, no. Yeah. So things I do. Yoga. I I have taken up walking. God bless my neighbor. My neighbor, because I put on weight like crazy in COVID. If you didn't put weight on in COVID, you did it wrong. I'm telling you that now. Right. So at first I just fed the world and then I was just like the world left and I kept eating all that food. So somewhere around Christmas, because I like a, you know, I like a cliche, I decided enough's enough. We're not going to get any bigger. We're going to just get ourselves back to where we were. And at the time, my next door neighbor, bless her, she um, had um, some surgery done and she needed to get more exercise for her knees. So I said, Hey, I'll go walking with you. And this woman can walk forever. Yes. So, but it's really got me going. So I do my 10,000 steps every day. We go on, you know, proper, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 14 kilometer hikes uh, around the countryside, which has been restorative. I mean, 
Again, if you'd have told the party girl that was 30 that she'd be walking and playing in the garden, <laughs> she'd say, she must be at middle age now. <laughs> yes, yes, I totally agree. I love it. it. Yeah, I am into walking and gardening as well. But you know what I tell people that I go for a 5K walk every day. I have two young children. I'm quite busy. They just think, how do you find the time to do that? And, and so what do you tell people who are still you saying, I don't time. have the time to do that? I, I, you I do. can't find the time. You do. And you don't have to be like our girl, Michelle, who gets up at 4.45. No. If I'm up at 4.45, I'm going clubbing. That's my answer. But no, you make the time. There is so much time in our day, especially when we're not commuting. And you know what? The world isn't going to fall off of its axis. If you turn your computer off for an hour and a half at lunchtime, it's lunchtime. This would be a gift for your people. At Sky, we have, in my part of Sky, we have two hours off at lunch every day. Two hours? Every day, two hours. And you can choose to work quietly during that time. You can take the whole time off. You can do all your meal prep. Twice a week, I use that time to either do yoga or go for a walk. Why? I I personally can't afford that much break in the day and still have a normal work day. But twice a week I can. And I use that as to go for a walk. Get up a little bit earlier. Right. And, you know, I waste so much time on Instagram. If I use <laughs> Instagram time, I use that time to do my walk. And then so that my walk is productive, I listen to books or yes. podcasts so that I'm educating as opposed to listening to Dua Lipa because I love me some Dua Lipa. But I listen to books and podcasts so that I'm doing my professional development while I do my walking. Yes. So it is a little bit about slicing time, but if you're a leader, if you're a senior person, you're going to be busy. I I am unfortunate, unfortunate. I don't have children. So I I don't have that added pressure and my husband's retired. So I need to be completely honest with everybody. So they go, how she's a superwoman. Like, no, honey, I have a very, very nice life. (laughs) And, um, but I do all the cooking in our home. I do all the the shopping for the food. So there's still chores I have to do, um, but I still manage to make that time. Because if you don't, again, can't pour from an empty cup, right? Yes. Yeah. I uh, My biggest challenge, and any of y'all have an idea, is when do I do my actual work? Because yes. if you're like me, your schedule, like lockdown means that everything's by appointment. So all that easy FaceTime you used to do in like five minute, 10 minute with people so they feel connected suddenly becomes a meeting of a minimum of a half an hour, right? Yes. You could try the 15 minute minute. It doesn't work for us. Yes. Yes. So if I don't, you know, my big challenge is I do that. Then I want to have some time for my my development or my exercise. And then it's like, whoo, when am I going to do this? Which sometimes is Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sometimes it's Saturday while I'm watching the F1 or the football because I work in sports. So that's also work kind of, I enjoy it. I'm lucky, but um, yeah, sometimes it's Saturday. Fabulous. So for, a, for you to have a two hour break during the day, when do you start work and when do you finish? Just so people can really understand what the day is like for someone. So everyone, we have really flexible working at Sky. So yeah. we're really trying to model and really trying to learn about how we're going to do hybrid, how we're going to do flexible. Yes. It's causing great deals of anxiety for my people. Will you please tell us what the rule will be? I'm like, yes. I don't know. I don't know. It's not going to be up to me. Good news. It's not going to be up to me because it was up to me, I have y'all in the office five days a week so I can keep the phones, right? 
but I know that's not ideal. So we won't do that. We won't do that. Um, So I think it's going to be down to the role and what you do. And today I literally don't care. Like my DRs, their DRs, even my people, I do not, I've never cared when your work starts and when it ends. I think it's in 2021, a ridiculous conversation. Honestly. Right. So at the end of the day, most people in their jobs are trusted with several thousand, if not millions of pounds worth of asset. We're trusted with that. We make decisions about it every day, no matter what you do, whether you're an accountant, marketing person, technology person. We're trusted with that. We don't have somebody over my shoulder looking at that all day long. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yet we want to tell grown adults what time (laughs) they need to start work, what time they can have a break. It reminds me of, what was that? Um, Shawshank Redemption. I had to ask to take a a pee. I was like, no, it's a silly conversation, right? So I've never cared, never, right? When people say, can I take holiday? I'm like, I don't know, can you? Right, like honestly, I don't know, can you? I don't know what your workload is. You know what you have to do. You know when you have to get it done by. Why are you asking another full-grown adult who has no idea if you can have holiday? Whatever, right? So that was a long answer to, so my day typically starts between 8.30 and 9.30. Yeah. Some days it starts at 8.30. Some days it starts at 9.30. Now start. What does start mean? I'm an early riser. So I'm usually naturally awake by about 6 to 6.30 in the morning. Yeah. The first thing I do, because I want to be positive, is I look at my Instagram. Isn't Instagram happy? (laughs) I look at Instagram. I see sisters losing weight. I'm like, yay. I see recipes. I see my niece who needs to wear more clothes and, you know, all kinds of stuff that just makes me happy. Right. That's my day. Then I'll pick up my work phone and I'll look at the hot emails. Yes. And I'll respond to some emails. I'll look at my diary and then I'll make a decision as to how much time I have in the morning. I'm going to be honest. I'm not one of these people who gets up in the morning and works out. I can't do it. My brain just Then home office, I'm very fortunate. I have this whole room just to do work, which allows me that separation, which if you can do that, if you are privileged and fortunate enough to have a separate space, even if it's a closet, you can put a computer in, but it means you can shut the door on the work and the work is done, right? I sit in here and I work, 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 work until my first break, which is usually that one and a half or two hour lunch. Yes. And then depending on the day of the week, um, I might have I do some education. So I do education two days a week um, and I'll sit down and do one hour of personal development twice a week during that lunchtime. The other times I go for my walks. So I go with the neighbor once a week or I'll go on my own for the short walk into town if it's nice. I'm very fair weather. Um, or I'll do, I have a little mini trampoline, I'll jump on the trampoline, or I'll do a bit of yoga. But that's that time. And I try to use that structure. Ending time, who knows? We have an American parent. So if we have a meeting with Comcast, our parent company, that could yeah. go on till six, seven o'clock at night. But yeah. I balance that with other time during the day because I still have to feed people. My husband does quite enjoy speaking to me on occasion. So <laughs> having focused time where I can break out the day and just talk about life and, you know, fashion and where are we going to live? Our latest, our latest ultimate obsession. Where should we buy our house? Stop, stop, stop it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Again, and I wouldn't want to, my recipe doesn't work for anybody else. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I tried doing that 5 a.m. club. Have you ever done 5 a.m. club? Are you in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am a really early riser. I can have my day before 12 noon and the rest of the day is just like, yeah, I can be cruising. Wow. Yes. You naturally wake up. Yes, I've always been an early riser, but after Kate, you you tend to have to force yourself back into the routine. Mm. And but I noticed that after lunch, I'm not as sharp. Mm. You know, but that's natural. Just, yes, so I don't want to drag work till after lunch because it just feels a lot harder. So if I can get more mm. done, and also because kids wake up, you know, around seven, eight o'clock, my kids are also early risers. Oh my god. <laughs> So it helps me to get some balance and get some working before everybody else wakes up. There's a fantastic book I read about three years ago that really changed my mind about time and stuff and, yes. and your productivity. It's called, um, oh, I don't know the exact title, but it's the, it's, the, it's the Magic of Perfect Timing or the Science of Perfect Timing. And it's by Dan Pink. So the yeah. guy who wrote Drive. Yeah. And I wrote, I read this book before I read Drive. So I read this book and I was like, this guy's a genius. And it's all about your natural circadian rhythms. Yeah. And like the first, the most important thing I learned from that book is never, ever have surgery in the afternoon or the evening. Right. Yeah. Because there's a reason why you want to have your surgery first thing in the morning. And there's certain tasks that we do better in the daytime or in the yes. morning and certain tasks we do better at night. Who knew? Right. And it's like, and it's phenomenal. And then the time of the year as well. I've really taken that into my my thought process, my planning, when I want to have certain meetings. Yes. Very, very good book. Highly recommend it. Oh, fabulous. I was going to ask you for a book recommendation, which we always do, but you've already you've already answered a lot of my questions. Well, but I, I hope to- people have read my favorite book, which is Shonda Rhimes' Year of Yes. If you if you no. are my if you ask me to mentor you. My first requirement is you read that book and then we talk, right? Oh, wow. So, you know our girl Shonda. like Of course. Shonda. Shonda. What I love about the book is it's a memoir of one year of her life yes. when she was already at the top of her career, already at the top of everything. And then she did one change, the year of yes, yeah. and it changed her whole life. Wow. And it's a phenomenal book. I read it in like two days and I'm not a fast reader because I just couldn't put it down. <laughs> phenomenal. You know, there's so many things you've said that I want to really touch on quickly. You said you make time for education two times a week. Now that for somebody who is already the top of your game is pretty impressive. So what are you currently learning or working on? What areas are you developing? So, I think that would be really insightful for a lot of people. It changes. It changes. I will be really transparent and say right now I'm studying Italian. So I have a tutor and I have homework and twice a week I study Italian because I have a, I have a practice that every year on my birthday. So that's coming up. I make myself a development um, promise. Yeah. So one year, my, my doorbell just rang. Now let's see if anybody goes to get it. <laughs> it's just there. Um, so, it, and it changes every year. Uh, so last year on my birthday, I said I wanted to learn to speak conversational Italian. I have okay. really good Italian friends. If it wasn't for COVID, we'd be visiting, visiting them next week, but we're not. Um, and they live in a tiny little village in Sardinia. And everyone's so lovely and so welcoming to us. 
and most people don't speak English. Oh yes, that's so our friends are spending the whole time being translators. It's and they're like nephew who's eight, who's now my Instagram buddy. Back to Instagram. So I'm like, no, I'm going to at least be able to talk about the food, talk about the weather, ask for you know, like simple basic things in Italian. Yes. So yeah. that's that. But then I also spend an awful lot of time learning about Kubernetes and, and cloud migration because I'm not an engineer. And I studied programming 25 years ago, no more, 35 years ago. Yes. So I have to constantly make time to keep up with what's new in technology. I'm not ever going to push anybody out of a seat to write JavaScript for them. But I at least need to understand, you know, modern technology, modern patterns, trends. Otherwise, I get found out pretty quickly. So in addition to the focus study, you know, I haven't read a book that was completely fiction in. I think the last book I read that was fiction was a year and a half ago when I was on holiday and I read The Goldfinch. And that was like already ages old and he already had a movie out. Right. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm going to read the book. I, I, there are certain things I have to give up. Right. Yeah. To I totally did. Because okay. when I'm retired, I'm reading all these books. Yeah. I have a, I like everybody. I'm not, you see that that's my bookcase. Most of them are fiction books. Haven't read a thing. Right. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I there are so many similarities because I also haven't read fiction in ages because I'm yeah. just like I, I have too much to learn. Nobody got time for that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so you again you mentioned mentoring people. What's your and um what's your top tip for both mentors and mentees? Again, that's another thing I get approached to do quite a lot, and our yeah. membership platform offers you know, the option for people to search for uh, mentors and search for mentees. And I have had some wonderful, amazing mentors in my life. So what's been your experience with that? And what advice do you give around that? Oh, I have to call out Chris. So Chris Loughran is ex-Deloitte partner, and he's been my mentor for over 20 years. And I am so lucky. Uh, And I'm calling him out by name. Uh, Lovey Jackson, who was a, a partner at Deloitte as well, was one of my mentors. She was the Black female uh, uh, MD that I work for. I think one, it's important to have mentors. Yes. Um, sometimes they don't know, right? Like it's okay <laughs> that you can have a mentoring relationship without having that awkward, can you be my mentor conversation, right? Yeah. Obvious. <laughs> and I don't think it needs to be that formal. Yes. So I have two beliefs about mentoring, right? Yes. There's sponsoring, which happens inside your organization. Yes. And then there's mentoring, which can happen inside and outside, but I highly recommend the one outside. Yes. And here's my number one reason why. You should be able to tell your mentor anything, absolutely anything, without putting them in a weird conflict position, right? So if 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 my mentee tells me something, because they need to get some advice or want to think it out that I, and they're inside the organization and I know that's putting something they're working at at risk. Yeah. What do I do with that information? I'm a director in the company, right? So one, I try not to have those kinds of conversations with my inside mentee mentor, yes. because I don't want to put them in a context yes. situation. There's loads of conversations. So If you're in an organization, I highly recommend you get yourself a sponsor. And a sponsor 
is one to two grades higher than you, maximum. Because if they're too high in the organization, they're not in the right rooms to actually have some influence. Absolutely. Do you want a sponsor who is influential, who's in the right rooms to speak your name and to be looking for opportunity for you and to hear the feedback about you to be able to fill in for what your line manager may or may not be telling you, right? Yeah. That's one. And then your mentor, I like, is like my poor Chris. He's like my agony aunt sometimes. (laughs) And I can literally tell him anything, right? Like anything. Like I'm actually thinking I'm going to quit tomorrow. Like that I could tell him, right? It's not going to go anywhere. And his answer is in my best interest. Always. Because he has nothing to gain from what he tells me. Yeah. So, and, and one, the other thing is it's not just Chris, right? So I have a couple of mentors and I go to different mentors for different things. things. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise you just exhaust your mentor, honestly. Right. So, and sometimes it's my mentor every day, like once a, once a month. And sometimes it'll be two years before I pick up the phone and go, do you got time for half an hour coffee or something? And I don't go, would you do a mentoring session with me? No, it's like, do you have time for him? And they know what it's about. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure people listening to this will be thinking, oh my gosh, she's amazing. She's got everything figured out. And we know that's not true. (laughs) So we know you you had some pretty, you may have had, you have barriers and you may have some failures as well. Let's touch on the failures. Let's celebrate the failures. What's been your biggest one so far? I love that new army commercial where they were like our greatest uh, advantage is failure. And I couldn't agree more. Right. It's, Oh gosh, I'm trying to think of what I can talk about. Um, So I'll talk about the first reorg. My, my, my team would tell you every reorg reorg I've done is a failure. That's what my people (laughs) survey says. Um, But the first reorg I attempted when I joined sky was an abject failure. It was a disaster. And what I learned from that was I had my own idea and I was quite clear and I, and I have a pretty powerful voice and I had a bunch of line managers who had never worked with me, didn't know me from Adam. So I'm in a room with them talking through it, thinking that they're agreeing that they're on board. Right never really giving them the oxygen or the permission to object. Right. Now, I didn't think I needed to give them permission to object because I'm not that kind of leader, but they don't know that. So they're all going, "Uh mm -hmm, mm uh-huh, and then no ownership, no buy-in, and it was a bad idea, like for 16 million different reasons, right? Well, I won't even pretend it was a good idea and there was no buy-in. It was a bad idea. (laughs) Now, some of that bad idea have come has come back now, but that's four years later, right? Yes. With the knowledge of this organization and what it takes to get stuff done. So that was massive and it smarted. But what I did in the end was completely give the permission to the team. And that stuff I talked about, those good leaders, what they do yes. is here's what good looks like when we're done. Here are the things that need to be true about what you're about to go do. You decide. You decide. Right? What they came up with was not what I wanted, but they had a lot more ownership of it. And fair enough, the things that I said needed to be true were true. Yeah. And I think sometimes as leaders, um, 
or as individuals, we have to trust that just because it's not the way we wanted it, doesn't mean it won't produce the outcome we want. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the outcome more than the design, right? Yeah. I, I, I have a famous story, it is, and it has the benefit of being true. Yeah? Okay. So way back when, way, way back when, OCR scanning. Remember OCR scanning? Way back when, you know, the, uh, um, what is it? Optical character recognition. So yes. when we were first creating scanners that could interpret a typed or written character and convert that to digital and then bring it back as actual words. Yeah. Let me tell you something, flaky as hell. Didn't work terrible, right? <laughs> but this is the process you go through with technology. It has to, you have to use it. You have to use it to prove it out, right? So a famous company who shall remain nameless um, needed to digitize years. We're talking 30 years of paper files. And they paid a very famous printing and documentation company that might start with a, a lot of money to use their brand new scanning technology to digitize all this. And it didn't happen. Wow. And they tried and tried and tried and they couldn't make it work. It was full of bugs and da 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 and this and the other thing. And so then the, the then CTO of the of the famous big company with the 30 years of records did something that was genius. You know what he did? What did he do? He said, my job as a, as a technology person is to solve this problem. So number one, he took all the records that were X amount years old, and he just yeah. stuck them in a warehouse. Just get them out. Just stick them somewhere. <laughs> then he took records that were between a year and a half and I think six or seven years, which you have to legally have. Yeah. And he put them on microfiche, all right, age test, if you remember what microfiche is. So oh, basically, wow. they just photograph them, and then you run through this machine, and you can look at the whole direct document, but it's tiny, tiny, tiny photograph. Wow. So he microfished them. That was that, and then he put those off. What did you do for the last year and a half? They tried to use the scanning technology, and then they hired a convent to fix the data. A room full of nuns. I love this. <laughs> you know, a room full of nuns. Why? They were smart. They were educated. They could type. They were detail-oriented. And they were cheap. Yeah. And they were cheap. What's the, the moral of that story? Is, yes, we want to use the fancy, fancy software, right? But at the end of the day, the problem to be solved was what to do about all those records. Yes. And that CTO, I think he was the CIO, was a genius because he came up with a solution that did that got the company where they needed to go. And it's always simpler. We we I think the last interview I had with Carmen, she was just saying how we we love to complicate things. We love we to do. complicate things. We do. But you know, microfish, I was like, ooh, that's that's retro. That was retro then. That story is 20 years old. Then it was retro. It was like microfish, 1962 called and they want their microfish back. It worked. Guess what they found? They found that the records that were on microfiche were almost never touched, ever. What? The records that were in the warehouse, nobody even remembered they existed. It, yeah, I can believe right? that. 
And they said, so they had at least a path. And now with the, the laws around how long you can keep data, yes. it's a lot easier for them to manage it because they already have containers of how old, next old, next old. I feel and the OCR scanning, they continue to invest in and it got better because you have to use new technologies to make them work better. Yeah. Awesome. I love that story. Room full of nuns. <laughs> I will look at my phone and I'm story. going... I think we need a room full of nuns. And they go, oh, God, here she goes again. <laughs> Women, at the end of the day, get it we done. We solve all problems. I, think, yeah. I was just going to say, I hope they were paid a fair wage. Um, well, it, you know, he said it was a win-win because at the time, the, the church and the convent didn't have ways to make money. Yes, yeah. And this was a really good income stream for them that basically allowed a, a very older population of people to work quite comfortably in their convent. So yeah. it, it, you know, cause I was like, Ooh, exploitive. And he's like, hardly, you know, <laughs> like they didn't have ways to make money. So, so we'll talk about something we're both quite passionate about um, diversity and inclusion. Um, we know a lot of businesses are struggling with that. George Floyd has shown a spotlight on the issues and, um, Everyone is trying to do better. So in your role as a leader, being in charge of hopefully culturally diverse teams, yes. um, what's worked and what hasn't worked? What lessons have you taken from that experience? Oh, gosh, it's so, so challenging. So my, my biggest challenge now is that in my leadership team, in my extended leadership team, I'm the only person who's brown. And that is concerning for me, in, especially in Leeds, where we have a decent population to pick from, both yes. for Asian brown people and African Caribbean. And as yes. me, as I like to say myself, black other. What the heck is that? <laughs> black other. Uh, so, um, and I, I am working on that. I think the biggest challenge is attracting talent um, yes. I don't believe that there is a pipeline problem. I think we have the challenge that if you are brown and in a position of leadership, you are probably pretty well valued. If not, you have your choice of places to go to where you will no be. Shortage. Yes. So we need organizations to recognize the value of bringing diverse talent into the organization and all the extra they're going to do yes. as a result and then reward them accordingly. Yes. Because ultimately, I'm trying to attract wonderful brown engineer from company X who has a, a, a bonus that he can or she can guarantee for the most part. Yeah. Has already built the relationships, have already done all the hard yeah. work. And I say, hey, you come over here and solve my problem and take industry rage. Why would I do that? Right. And I always equate it to whether it's women in engineering or whatever diversity you need to bring to improve your team. And let me be clear, you're improving your team on many, many, yes. many levels. Yeah. Whatever person you're bringing in to improve the team, I want you to pretend you're Manchester United. Right. I'm a West Ham fan. I'm not picking them for any other reason. But West Ham would never do this. So let me be clear. Let's pretend you're Manchester United. And you have some of the greatest strikers in the world already yes. on your team. But you're not going to rest on that. You're going to search everywhere. And when the transfer deadline comes, you're going to pay. Let's pretend you're Man City. You're going to pay a hundred million pounds for a striker who is 27. What? <laughs> right? 
because they're going to improve the value. Yes. Right. You're going to sell shirts because their name is on there and all of the extra stuff they bring. And yeah. I think we need to start thinking about our talent in that way, I which is that. dead man shoes. Oh, I have to wait until the job opens. And then I have to hope that there's a brother or a sister or a cousin looking and that I can attract them with an average pay or a, a or a, or a competitive pay. When they have that where they are, why would they leave? Remember, they're solving my problem, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. I think we have to make, so that's my learning. We need to do better. I'm working on that. I'm big time working on that. But what I can say about diversity is we have overrepresented, not over, I think we have represented appropriately around women. Yes. So my leadership team is majority women. I have four women and one man in my direct leadership team. Yeah. The four women are heads of, and one man who's a head of, so they're all peers, right? Yes. Then in my in my extended leadership team, there are definitely more men, yes. um, but we also have senior women in that team, right? So when you look at a technology organization, I can always do better, and I'm always looking to do better. And why I think we need to have um, more people in my leadership team who are brown um, is I just think it's important that the people in my team can look through an organization and see themselves represented because I don't want to lose out on a talent who believes that they cannot make it here, right? Yes. In addition to all of the experience that their life experience brings, right? Neurodiversity, yeah, whatever. Life experience diversity will bring you neurodiversity, I guarantee it, right? But, you know, there ain't no neurodiversity like the diversity of someone who has had to figure things out a different way because of the color of their skin. Yes. And if you don't believe that's true, you're probably not brown, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, you're probably not brown. Um, because there are things that I do every single day without thinking about it because of the color of my skin. Yes. Right. And so, so I bring a different problem, problem solving dynamic. I bring a different worldview as a result of my life experience, just like the guy who I hired, who's white and working class and never went to uni. Yes. Right. Just like the person on my team who comes from a traveler community. Yes. Right. Just like the gentleman on my team who's white and over 50, right? All of these people bring a diverse life experience to the team. And to me, diversity means all of that. My LGBTQ community are like represent, right? And we have a really, we, we recently had a person um, who didn't even work for us, didn't work for us, worked for one of our vendors who took this opportunity of the time, because of the time they spent with us to come out as transgender. Now, if we weren't providing a kind of inclusive environment, I don't think they would have chosen now, right? And to me, that's what's important because you cannot bring your best self to work. You can't, it's impossible. If you've got 16 different masks on so that you can fit in, that takes so much energy to, you know, everybody needs a filter. I learned about my filter. That's just being professional. But there is a certain level of complete bending yourself out of shape so that you can fit in. Contorting yourself to look professional. That's what I know. 
<laughs> all the blue suit in the world ain't gonna make my hair straight and blonde. It just isn't, yeah. right? And why why so, would you want to be anything other than yourself? We're, we've all been created in the most beautiful way. So exactly. you and I, last question. I know we're running out of time. You and I are comfortable talking about all this, but our colleagues, our, our friends, our, our, you know, they struggle to talk about diversity and inclusion and yeah. to, to have these conversations because they, they're so scared of saying the wrong thing. So what do you tell your colleagues who are still in that space where they're they're really afraid? Brown people, brown and black people of this world, please be generous with people who are, (laughs) like I say all the time, we can tell. You can tell when someone's being an asshole, sorry, I swore, when someone's being unkind on purpose and when someone just doesn't have the right words. You can tell, right? And we need to be kind and have radical candor right? Help people find the right words, but hear them out. Hear them out. And on, and white people need to be okay, right? With having, asking the question, right? So I've never been offended by people asking me questions about my hair or about my clothes or about anything, because I kind of started from the position a long time ago that it's education, if yes. it's curiosity, then it's education. I don't mind curious people at all. I'm curious. I want to know right? What happened to your arm? Like to the guy who's got one arm, what happened to your arm? Like it's <laughs> little kid will ask you and you won't be mad. Right. Like, yeah, you born with that one. What happened to your arm? Right. So, you know, do you have, like when I had dreadlocks, people would be afraid to ask me if I washed my hair, do you wash your hair? And I'd be like, and, and instead of rolling my eyes and being offended, I would just answer the question. Of course. <laughs> How? Why would you wash they, it? They go, do you have to take it out? Like they didn't understand the process. And I'd go, no, shampoo is pretty, pretty porous. Like it'll go through it, you know, and I just would tell them. And instead of making them feel belittled or smaller, embarrassed, yes. we just had an educated, we just had a moment yes. where they understood more about me. Right? Yes. Yes. Here's my question. If you know you're getting a sunburn, why wouldn't you wear the sunscreen all the time? Like, like sunburn to me is the most bizarre con- concept because I've had a sunburn once and I never want that again. And yet I see my white friends and colleagues and even my husband will go out without sun. And I don't understand. Please help me understand. I'm not being ignorant. I want to understand. <laughs> and I think we need to be a little more relaxed. We've lived yes. together as brown people, white people, black people for so All the long. people. <laughs> For so long, it's time we have these chats. And I think the other thing is, please believe us. The number of times I talk about my life experience and the person's reaction is, no way. They don't believe it. They just cannot believe that there is an alternate reality that we live in where our liberty is so constrained and so challenged on a regular basis. Because... By all outward appearances, I'm like a middle-class person. I'm an executive. You know, I have nice things. And nobody will believe for a minute that the type of things that happen to a little to a, a kid in the inner city of London or in Detroit happen to me on a regular basis. Yes. The police will stop me because I'm driving my car. Why? Because I'm driving my car. Why? Because it's a nice car. But You're did you do anything? driving a nice no. car. Yeah. No. Why? You know, I've been stopped for being in the wrong neighborhood. Not the wrong neighborhood. I was supposed to be there, but because there's a black person in a rich neighborhood, stop her. That happened. 
That's happened more than once. I was shocked to find out that people got stopped for driving while black in the UK. I didn't think it happened here. Oh, yeah, yeah. I am, yeah. I was disgusted and shocked. Yes. I was happens. like, oh, I'm moving to England because you don't get stopped <laughs> for this. I think the difference is that in America, it's quite overt in your face, whereas in the UK, it's very covert and insidious. And um, they don't talk about it, but it's always there. It's the white elephants in the room. Yep. And it's quite wearing. And I hope we all have the confidence, the empathy, the vulnerability to talk and have the conversations we need to have, because then, you know, life will be so much more fun. Work will be more productive. Everybody will feel they're doing and achieving what they need to achieve. And like, you know, the world will be such a better place for all of us. Mm. Um, but it's been such a pleasure talking to you, Rene. I know you, we've Thank run out you. of time. It's been an absolute pleasure. I, I knew we had a lot in common, but I didn't realize how much. We should go for a long hike together. Um, yes, you're on. You're absolutely on. I don't have mine on today, but yes, <laughs> So thank you so much for joining us. If you're watching this on YouTube or iTunes, please give us a review if you've enjoyed it and if you've learned something. And um, you can also subscribe to join the next session live. We'd like to interview some of our guests live as well. So we are a community of fabulous forward-thinking women globally. Um, we, we've invested in a beautiful platform where you can find mentors, you can access content, you can join Power Circles. African power circles, U.S. power circles, you name it. Um, we're trying to bring all, all of the beauty that is in, um, you know, women together. So thank you so much for joining us and have a lovely day.